the rest of these five on Xandar. Apparently, they think they can save the galaxy. I look around at us, and I see a thief, two thugs, an assassin, and a maniac. But we're not going to stand by as evil wipes out billions of lives. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. No thing like me except me. Who are you? We're the guardians of the galaxy. <laughs> Who? Forget it. Guardians of the Galaxy in theaters August 1st. Hey, good morning, everybody. I know, I know. Just bear with me. Okay. Good to see all of you here this morning. Good to welcome all of you across the street, the video venue, and all you folks who are joining us online. Grab a Bible wherever you are and go with me to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. When you get to Ecclesiastes, find chapter 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me just clear something up for you. Uh, I made a mistake when I turned in uh, my material for the bulletin insert and PowerPoint and all that stuff. I don't know. I just had a brain cramp or something. Because it says that our text today is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. But here's the problem. There's only 16 verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I know that. I've been reading it all week, obviously. But for some reason, I got 21 in my head, and that's what went down on the page. So just scratch that out, put 16, and then in parentheses, right, my pastor's a knucklehead right next to that. And um, that'll take care of that. This is the second week of At the Movies 2016, and we're going to talk about the power of community today. We're going to use that passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to use some clips from this movie, Guardians of the Galaxy. Someone asked me a week or so ago about this at the movie series, and I said, you know, we did this last year. I did it kind of on a whim. Um, it's, not kind of, it's not really the kind of thing that we normally do. Uh, if you've gone to church here any length of time, we, you know, we really value the, uh, this part of the service where we open up our Bibles and dig in and study the Scriptures. And we're going to do that this morning. We're going to do that with that Ecclesiastes 4 passage. Actually, we do that each week, no matter what movie we're using to uh, help with the message. We did it last week with uh, talking about uh, making a comeback in your life when you've stumbled. We'll do it next week. We're going to use a movie called When the Game Stands Tall, and we're going to talk about when problems come in your life and how you handle those things. But the uh, interesting thing is, um, I told this person, I said, you know, we did this last year in July, and we did it in July, and we're doing it in July this year, because with our balanced calendar, there's limited vacation times, and we just got a lot of folks that are gone all throughout the month of July. Our attendance is smaller, and so it's just to do something different. But last year, we did this in July, and I got more feedback, more positive feedback on At The Movies last year than any other sermon series we did for the entire year. And we did, some, we did some good studies. We went verse by verse through First John. I, we did what I thought was a great study through Second Chronicles 20, and we talked about when trouble comes, and we talked about how Jehoshaphat led the people of God when armies were coming to invade them. We did a study six, six, uh, for the first six chapters of the Old Testament book of Daniel, talking about standing your ground. Wow, what was a great study. But you know, when anybody wanted to talk to me about a sermon last year, it was always something from at the movies. So, we thought we'd do it again this year, and you got to throw in one really weird movie in the whole thing, and so that's this weekend with 
Guardians of the Galaxy. If you've seen the movie, uh, and probably some of you have and some of you haven't, it's this wildly imaginative science fiction story about a group of intergalactic criminals who are forced to come together and work as a team to stop a fanatical warrior from taking control over the universe. So it's a light story. It doesn't have a whole lot of detail to it. But uh, it's a good story, and there are some great lessons about community in this move. We're going to talk about that more in a few minutes. But if you've got your Bible open to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, let's start with the Scripture. Stand together with me wherever you are in reverence and respect for God's Word. And I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 and going to the end of the chapter. Solomon writes and says again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to take warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Okay, there it is. You can be seated this morning. May God add His blessing on the reading of His Word today. Now, you know, I love movies, and I'll tell you from the beginning that I enjoy all kinds of movies. I'm not a huge fan of science fiction movies, which Guardians of the Galaxy is, but uh, I watch them. Uh, but as I said earlier, there's one thing in particular about this movie that stands out to me, and that is it gives a demonstration or illustration of the power of community. Because what happens is the central characters in this movie, and they could not be more different, or they could not come together under more different circumstances. As they come together and they go through this process of saving the universe, they bond together and experience the reality of genuine community, which is a powerful thing. I don't know about what you think about when you hear the word community, but what I think about is I think about people sharing life together. In fact, you should write that down in your notes. This is what community is. It's sharing life together. That's a good definition of community. For Christians, we could take that definition to a, the next step and we could say that community is sharing a common life together in Christ, a common life together in Christ, but community is sharing life together. And community is a powerful thing, and it's an important thing for all of us for a number of different reasons. In fact, I'm going to give you five reasons why community is important. We're going to do this quickly. You can see in your insert there where you can write these down. Community is important first because community moves us beyond the isolation of our private lives. It moves us beyond the isolation of our private lives. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to slip into a private life where I don't have a lot of interaction with other people. I think a long time ago as a pastor, I realized that I share so much of my life with a number of people, with a large number of people in some cases, that I needed time where I was just alone. And so over, over a period of time, I found that alone time when I'm at home. My home is my fortress of solitude. I'm not a good neighbor. I'm not. And I've got lots of people in this church that live in my neighborhood. Some of them live right on my street, and I'm not a good neighbor. 
I don't go out and interact with my neighbors. I don't, I don't know them very well. Um, I, I pull in my garage. I put the garage door down. And I just stay in my home, mind my own business. It's my private time. Uh, and there's a good thing about that because it's good for me, but there's a bad thing about that because it's, it's not good for me sometimes to be so private. You may be the same way. So community moves us beyond the isolation of our private lives. It gets us in, in, in relationship with other people. Here's the second reason why community is important. Community moves us beyond the superficial contacts that too often pass for Christian fellowship. It gets us beyond the superficial contacts that too often pass for Christian fellowship. You can come to church, and you can stand out in the foyer or hang around after church, and you can have conversations with people, and you can talk and say, how's your week gone, or how's your summer going? You can say, we need to get together for lunch, or we need to do this or that, and then you can leave, and you never follow up on those things, and you can fool yourself into believing that you experienced fellowship with other people, but you didn't. You just experienced a conversation, and community takes us beyond that. And community gives us an opportunity to have genuine Christian fellowship. Number three, community is important. And this is probably the most important uh, aspect of community for Christians. Community is important because community creates or facilitates the opportunity for spiritual growth. And this is the will of God for all of us. How many of you know that's true? It's the will of God for all of us to grow in our faith, to be spiritually mature. A couple of us know that's true. And that's important, but it's important. We all need to understand that. In fact, if I were to try to explain somebody the, uh, what God's will is for us when it comes to the Christian life, I think I could do it uh, uh, real simply. I could say this is the will of God for all of us. He wants, to, he wants us to experience a person, and that person is Jesus Christ because Christ changed your life, right? Somebody say right. Jesus changes our lives. He wants us to experience a person, and then he wants us to experience a process. And what I mean by process is he wants us to ex- experience spiritual growth, the process of spiritual growth that helps us to become more like Christ. That's the will of God for all of us. And then number three, he wants us to experience a purpose. And so once we experience a person and a process, we go through spiritual growth, he wants us to live our lives now with a purpose beyond ourselves, beyond our own selfish will and our own selfish gratification. He wants us to live our lives to serve others and to serve him. And so that's the Christian life, experiencing a person, a process, and a purpose. The process is spiritual growth. This is the will of God for all of us. There's so many verses in the Bible that talk about this truth. And we understand, for the most part as believers, that, that because it's a process, it takes time. It takes time to grow spiritually mature. Nobody just becomes a Christian one day, uh, goes to bed that night, and wakes up spiritually mature the next day. That's not how it works. It takes time. We understand that. But what a lot of, a lot of us fail to understand is that it doesn't just take time. It also takes people. Spiritual growth takes people. It takes our brothers and sisters in Christ and the interaction that we have with them. And here's why I know that's true. I know that's true because the Bible, the New Testament in particular, has so many verses and so many instructions for us related to our responsibility to one another. One another. There's so many one another verses or one another passages in the Scripture. What am I talking about? I'm talking about when the New Testament tells us that we're to love one another, when the New Testament tells us that we're to serve one another, when the New Testament tells us that we're to be devoted to one another, when it tells us that we're to bear one another's burdens, when it tells us that we're to admonish one another. And you can go on and on and on. In fact, 59 different times in the New Testament, you can find a verse or a passage that uses the language one another. Now, what do we learn from that? Well, we learned that we have a responsibility to each other, right? Someone say right. We have a responsibility to each other. 
And here's what happens. As we live out that responsibility to one another, it produces spiritual growth in our lives. We become spiritually mature. We make the mistake of thinking that spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is all about knowledge. Knowledge is a part of it, but it's just a part of it. It's just a part of it. You need knowledge. You need knowledge of God. You need knowledge of God's Word to become spiritually mature. But what you really need is you need relationships where you can live out the knowledge that you have of God's Word, where you can live out, for example, the knowledge of how important it is to love one another, serve one another, admonish one another, bear one another's burdens, and on and on and on. This is what we need, and that's what helps us to grow spiritually mature. It's so very important. And community, living in relationship with people, gives us that opportunity. Let me give you a fourth reason why community is so important. Community is important because it personalizes and demonstrates the ministry and presence of Christ on the earth. You can see it there on the screen. It's important because it it personalizes and demonstrates the ministry and presence of Christ on the earth. What do I mean by that? Well, let me just explain it to you like this. When I'm in community with brothers and sisters, spiritual brothers and sisters, and when, my, and those, and when those spiritual brothers and sisters love me and accept me, I feel the love and the acceptance of Christ expressed through them. When I confess my sin and my failure to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and they forgive me, I feel the forgiveness of Christ through them. When I share my brokenness with my brothers and sisters in Christ and they pray for me, I feel the love and the mercy and the healing of Christ through them. And I could go on and on and on. That's why it's important. Let me give you one final reason, a fifth and final reason why community is important. Community provides accountability. Community provides accountability. Have you noticed, friends, that we live in a world where it's becoming increasingly more difficult to challenge anybody about anything in their life? Let me ask you a question. Think about how old you are right now. Have you ever lived in a different, another time in your life where, it, where people were more easily offended than they are today? You have to be careful about everything that you say. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, it's, there's no intention on your part to offend somebody. And it's the furthest thing from your mind. It's not even a part of your, your thought process. But people are so easily offended today. Nobody wants accountability. Nobody wants to be challenged about anything. But community gives us that opportunity because in community, we have relationship where we love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. And that gives us the opportunity to admonish one another, to look at somebody in the face sometime and say, listen, what you're doing is wrong. This is not good for you. It doesn't honor Christ or whatever needs to be said. Now, when we do this, we grow spiritually because how many of you know that it takes real spiritual maturity sometimes to love people? Because we're not always lovable, are we? I'm not always lovable. It takes maturity on somebody's part to love me. It's hard to serve people sometimes. It, it, what did I just talk about? It takes great depth of level of spiritual maturity sometimes to admonish somebody, to look at somebody and say, listen, because I love you, I'm compelled to tell you this. What you're doing is wrong. I'm afraid for you. I'm concerned for you, whatever it might be. And so uh, that's why accountability is so important. And that's why... St- community provides us the opportunity to grow. Now I can give you more reasons why community is so important, but I need to stop right there and turn my attention to the movie because this movie is an illustration of community in a very creative way, in an odd way, but a very creative way. 
The central character in the movie Gardens of the Galaxy is a man named Peter Quill who was stolen from Earth by a group of space pirate aliens when he was just a boy. I know, right? I know. (laughs) Well, he eventually, in that environment, he grows up to be a space pirate himself. And the next time we see him in the movie after he is abducted as a child by these space aliens, he's on the planet Morag stealing an orb, an orb, for a man who is simply called the broker. Now, this orb contains something that's called an infinity stone that has immeasurable power, the kind of power that can destroy the universe, although Quill doesn't know that when he steals it. There's this really bad, super bad space villain named Ronan who wants that infinity stone for evil purposes, but he's not the only one. There's a female assassin named Gamora, And this is where it gets really crazy. There's a cybernetically modified raccoon named Rocket and his partner, a tree-like humanoid named Groot. If you ever saw the movie, you know that all throughout the movie, he just says over and over again, I am Groot, over and over again. (laughs) And because I have to introduce you to these characters, I'm going to show you this scene where Peter Quill, who has stolen this orb, is trying to sell it to the broker And these other characters come along trying to take it from him. Now, I'm going to tell you something in advance. This is an action movie, so this is an action scene. We've got some kids in the service. There's nothing gratuitous about this, but I'm just warning you in advance. So I'm going to play the video clip and just let the chips fall where they may. Here we go. Mr. Quill. Broker. The orb. As commissioned. Where's Yondu? Wanted to be here. Sends his love and told me to tell you that you got the best eyebrows in the business. What is it? It's my policy never to discuss my clients or their needs. Yeah, well, I almost died getting it for you. An occupational hazard, I'm sure, in your line of work. Some machine-headed freak working for a dude named Ronan. Ronan? I'm sorry, Mr. Quill, I truly am. But I want no part of this transaction if Ronan is involved. Whoa, 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 whoa! Who's Ronan? A Cree fanatic, outraged by the peace treaty, who will not rest until Zandarian culture, my culture, is wiped from existence. Come on, there's... He's someone whose bad side I'd rather not be on. What what about my bad side? Farewell, Mr. Quill. Hey, we had a deal, bro! What happened? Uh, this guy just backed out of a deal on me. There's one thing I hate, it's a man without integrity. Peter Quill, people call me Star-Lord. You have the bearing of a man of honor. Well, I, you know, I wouldn't say that. People say it about me all the time, but it's not something I would ever say about myself. <laughs> ah.
Supposed to be a professional. You gotta be kidding. I live for the simple things. Like how much this is gonna hurt. Corps, you are under arrest. Right, come on up. Hey, this isn't Star Prince. Star Lord. Oh, sorry. All right. Well, what happens next is the four of them are arrested. They're sent to a high security space prison where they meet a fifth member of their group, a man named Drax the Destroyer who is out to get Ronan because Ronan killed his family. And for them, from there, the five of them begin to bond and come together as they first escape from prison and then do what they need to do to keep the orb out of the hands of Roman. They discover the power of the orb and decide they need to keep it out of the hands of Ronan. Odd choice for a movie, I know. But it illustrates the power of community, which is something that I told you is important for all of us. We see that also in this Ecclesiastes passage. You got your Bible open there still? I want you to turn there with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 again if you don't have it open still. And what I want to tell you is that when I read these verses that we looked at earlier, I see three pictures, three pictures of what life can be like in this world for all of us. Two of them are bad, and one of them is really, really good. So let's talk about them for a few minutes. Right down next to number one there on your insert, picture number one, verses seven and eight. Look back at those verses. Solomon said, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Now, you can tell pretty much from the beginning that this is not going to be a positive picture, but as I said, it's a common one. It's the life that a lot of people live. This is basically the life of someone who's all about their work, but the problem is even though they're successful in their work, at the end of the day, they don't get any satisfaction from their work, and they're all alone. Let's put this in modern terms so we can think of it a little more clearly. It might be someone who is just consumed with achieving the American dream so consumed that he doesn't give himself any time to pursue or nurture meaningful relationships in his life. Maybe he never married. That's why he's alone. But maybe he married and got a divorce because his marriage failed. He never gave any attention to his wife. Maybe he never had any children, or maybe he did have children, but yet he's estranged from them now because he became so obsessed with success that he didn't have any time for his children. 
It's probably a guy who can point to different things in his life that seem to demonstrate success. He could say, my mortgage is paid. He could say, my retirement accounts are full and healthy. He could say that there's nothing this world has to offer that if I wanted, I couldn't go out and buy tomorrow. And yet, at the end of the day, what? No real satisfaction, and more important, he's all alone. And this is the way a lot of people live their lives. And the only time they really recognize the fact that it's meaningless is when they pause long enough from their work to see, I'm all alone. Write down, and by the way, that's why Solomon said at the end of that passage, this too is meaningless. Write down next to number two. Now pay attention to me here. Picture number three, because we're going out of order here. Picture number three, and skip all the way down to verses 13 through 16. Verses 13 through 16 says, Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to take warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now look up here. This might seem a little confusing at first, but actually what Solomon is communicating to us here is really pretty simple. Solomon is basically describing how fickle and superficial popularity can sometimes be, how fickle and superficial relationships that have no depth can sometimes be. And he does it by describing an old and a foolish king. He's foolish because he has gotten to a place in his life where he won't listen to anybody's advice any longer, and so he's become irrelevant. He probably was popular in the beginning, but now that he's an old king, he's not popular anymore. And so Solomon basically says a new king comes along, and he comes along out of nowhere. He just pops up out of nowhere and captures the imagination of the people and becomes incredibly popular. We don't really see the popularity in the way my NIV Bible translates this passage, but if you look back at the first part of verse 16, this is how it reads in the New King James. It says about this new king, this young king, there was no end to all the people over whom he was made king. He was incredibly popular. You couldn't even count the people who followed him. But what happened to him? What happened to him was eventually what happened to the first king. He fell out of favor just like the first king. The latter part of verse 16 says, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. Well, this is the reality of superficial relationships. They're fickle. You can have people like you today, follow you today, support you today, and tomorrow, just like that, they can be gone. How many of you know that's true? You can go home today. You can... You can uh, uh, open up your computer and log on to your Facebook page. You might have 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 followers, but how many friends do you really have? I tell my wife all the time, I have no idea who these people are who are following me on Facebook. I got no idea. You might have lots of followers on your social media feeds, your Twitter or your, or your Instagram or your Snapchat or whatever it might be, but there's a difference. How many of you know there's a difference between acquaintances and friends? There's a difference between followers and friends. And what Solomon is saying is that you can be popular one day, but hey, tomorrow they can all be gone. Somebody newer, somebody younger, somebody handsome, more handsome or more beautiful or more influential or whatever comes along, and all those followers are gone. And so what he says at the end of this passage is the same as he said just a moment ago. He said, this too is meaningless. Right down next to number three, picture number two. Let's go back to the middle. Because in contrast to those two pictures, here we find someone with a much better life because they are experiencing 
community. They have relationships that are real. And by the way, this picture in verses 9 through 12 is the only picture here in this passage that Solomon doesn't conclude with the words, this too is meaningless. And so he gives us four benefits of community here in this picture. He says, first, when you have community, you're going to have a larger profit a larger profit in your life. Verse 9 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. A good return for their work. And the idea here is simply that two people produce twice as much as what they could produce on their own. And you don't, when you say, when I say profit, I'm not necessarily talking about money. It's twice as much of everything. Twice as much to give. Twice as much service uh, for people. Twice as much fun. Twice as much support. Whatever it might be, you got twice as much. And uh, it's more fulfilling to share life with somebody else. Second, he said, in real community, you you, uh, will find help in times of need. Look at verse 10. He says, if one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Remember when you were a kid and uh, you uh, went on a field trip or something like that, but before you went on the field trip, before you got on the bus, your teacher said, everybody needs a buddy, and you had to practice the buddy system. You remember that? Maybe we still do that today because some things never go out of style. Oh, so I can remember when I was a kid going on a field trip to the zoo in Tulsa, and I had a buddy. And so every 30 minutes, the teacher would blow a whistle, and when you heard the whistle, you had to look around and find your buddy and make sure that your buddy was there, make sure your buddy wasn't lost, and he was, or she was looking for you too. And how much better would life be sometimes if we just kept the buddy system going all the time? And you always had somebody who had your back all the time. That's what Solomon's talking about here. Number three, he says the third benefit of community is we'll have more comfort. Verse 11, he says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can anyone keep warm alone? Now, look up here. I I personally think that what Solomon is talking about here is the reality of life, the difficulty, the sometimes difficulty of life in the Middle East in ancient days, in living and traveling in the Middle East, because travelers often slept outdoors at night, and it could be a cold night, and on a cold night, a single cloak would not be enough. You needed... Another source of warmth. And so the bottom line is he's just saying friendship, relationship, community provides comfort to our lives. It brings comfort to our lives. One way is the simple way he's talking about warmth, but it can be found in a number of different ways. Number four, the fourth benefit of community is you have greater protection. Verse 12 says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Simple concept here. He says when you're alone, you're, you're vulnerable, but when you're in community, you have protection. Let me say it like this. Solitude equals weakness. Community equals what? Strength. It equals strength. Now, you put all those together, friends, and you can only want, come to one conclusion, and that conclusion is community has the power to change your life. Being deeply connected to other people in genuine relationships has the power to change your life. Sharing life with other people has the power to change your life. And that's what happened to these characters in the silly movie Guardians of the Galaxy. As the movie continues, these uh, characters go from just caring about themselves to caring about each other. And we see that in this next clip. In this next clip, and we're going to meet Drax the Destroyer, who was the fifth member of this really weird small group, Uh, we're going to meet him and we're going to see that he has failed in his opportunity to try to exact revenge on Ronan. Quill and Gamora have been captured by space pirates and so Drax and Rocket and Groot are left to decide what they need to do next. Let's watch this. And you see some real relationships being born in this clip. Let's watch it together. 
Blasted idiot! They're all idiots! Quill just got himself captured! None of this ever would have happened if you didn't try to single-handedly take on a freaking army! You're right. I was a fool. All the anger, all the rage, was just to cover my loss. Come on, Groot. Ronin has the stone. The only chance we got is to get to the other side of the universe as fast as we can, and maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to live full lives before that whack job ever gets there. I am Groot. Save them? How? I am Groot. I know they're the only friends we ever had, but there's an army of Ravagers around them, and there's only two of us. Three. Rocket and Groot and Drax are reunited with Quill and Gamora, and there's a scene where they realize that they have to work together. They need each other's help to make sure that they keep the orb and the Infinity Stone out of Ronan's hands so that he won't use it to destroy the universe. Here's clip number three. Guys, I need your help. I look around at us, you know what I see? Losers. I mean, like, folks who have lost stuff. And we have, man, we have, all of us. Our homes, our families, normal lives. And usually life takes more than it gives, but not today. Today it's given us something. It has given us a chance for once not run away. I, for one, am not going to stand by and watch as Ronan wipes out billions of innocent lives. But Quill, stopping Ronan, it's impossible. You're asking us to die. Yeah, I guess I am. Most my life surrounded by my enemies. I will be grateful to die among my friends. You are an honorable man, Quill. I will fight beside you. And in the end, see my wife and daughter again. I am 
Now I'm standing. Y'all happy? Well, the ultimate depth of the relationship and the community that's been formed among these characters is seen while in the heat of the battle, their lives are in danger because their ship is about to crash, and one of them makes the ultimate sacrifice to save the others. This is the last clip we'll look at together. It's very brief. come together, they defeat Ronan, and eventually become the guardians of the galaxy. All of this that we've talked about today, this, this passage from Ecclesiastes, these clips from this crazy movie, they point to the power of, a, of shared life, of community. So I just want to ask you some questions, and we're going to bring this to a close this morning. Uh, there's implications of this related to this for all of us, and maybe these questions will help us to kind of understand them on a more personal level. Let me ask this question. Do you have people in your life that are helping you grow spiritually? And we probably have people in our lives who are helping us grow socially or recreationally or in other kind of secular ways, but do you have people in your life who are genuinely helping you grow spiritually? You're becoming a deeper Christian because of their friendship and their influence. Here's the second question. Do you have people in your life who know when you're down, who notice when you're in trouble, and who pick you up when you fall? Do you have somebody like that? Number three, do you know what it's like to find comfort in the friendship of other Christians? And number four, do you do any of the three things I just mentioned for anyone else? We make a mistake when we think that church is just about showing up, following along the order of service, and then going home like 
business as usual when it's all over, without any real level of connection. There's got to be some level of connection. Every church needs to be a place of community. I read a story this last week by a man named Gordon McDonald, who's a pastor, who was telling about the fact that he has several friends in his church who are members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they go to AA meetings throughout the week, and they, and they just rave about the benefit and the blessing of these meetings. And so he wanted to go with them to find out what it was all about. And so he writes a story about attending those meetings, and this is what he says. He says, one morning, Kathy, I guess her age at 35, joined us for the first time. One look at her face caused me to conclude that she must have been Hollywood beautiful at 21. Now her face was swollen, her eyes were red, her teeth were rotting, her hair looked unwashed and uncombed for who knows how long. I've been in five states in the past months, she said. I've slept under bridges on several nights, been arrested, raped, robbed. And then she began to weep and sob almost uncontrollably. When she got her composure, she said, I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore, but I can't stop drinking. I can't. He said next to Kathy was a rather large woman named Marilyn who had been sober for more than a dozen years. And she reached over with both arms toward Kathy and pulled her close, so close that Kathy's face was pressed up against her chest. I was close enough to hear Marilyn speak quietly into Kathy's ear. And this is what she said. Honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. We can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. Hear me? Keep on coming. And then Marilyn kissed the top of Kathy's head, and McDonald said, I was awestruck. The simple words, the simple affection, the simple tenderness, how Christ-like. And then he writes, I couldn't avoid a troubling question that morning. Could this have happened at my church? Would there have been a place for Kathy and her story at my church? And would there have been a Marilyn to respond in this way? We come to church sometimes, we look around at each other, and we make the mistake of thinking that because everybody looks good in this setting, everybody's life is good. Everybody's life is perfect. And I'm the only one who struggles. I'm the only one who has anxiety issues. I'm the only one who ever gets afraid. I'm the only one who worries all the time. I'm the only one who has uncertainty about the future. I'm the only one who has financial problems. I'm, only, I'm the only one whose marriage is just hanging on by a thread. I'm the only one who has rebellious children. I'm the only one who's about to lose their job. I'm the only one. You fill in the blank. It could be any number of different things. And yet the truth is it's the reality of all of our lives on some level. So there needs to be some opportunity to share life together where we can let down our guard and say, this is the reality of what's going on in my life. I can't stop worrying. I can't stop being afraid. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop whatever it might be. And this is what community provides. 
You know, our lives in this world don't last for that long. Even if we live long, full lives in the scope of eternity, they don't last that long. So we need to choose the course of our lives carefully. And we don't need to choose solitary lives. We don't need to choose lives where our relationships are just acquaintances and there's no depth to them. We need to choose community. We need to choose to share life with one another. Let's pray.